Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, we'll be spending some time with some of Shakespeare's miscreant characters, specifically the miscreants found in Twelfth Night. I use the term miscreant in a light-hearted way for one who behaves badly, but isn't really a villain, but rather a figure of fun. Miscreants can be found in most of Shakespeare's comedies and romances, and of course the most significant of them all, Falstaff, one of Shakespeare's greatest creations, is found in the history plays. The miscreants we'll be focusing on today, Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, Maria, and Feste, as well as the scene I've chosen, are easily understood without knowing much of the plot of Twelfth Night. The scene takes place in the residence of the Countess Olivia, a young woman who has recently lost both her father and her brother, and who is the object of romantic wooing, both for her charms and for her social position. Sir Toby Belch is Countess Olivia's uncle. Maria is Countess Olivia's waiting gentlewoman. Feste is Countess Olivia's fool, a professional position. Sir Andrew, who was a guest of Sir Toby and a wooer of the Countess, is not a professional fool, but an actual fool, though he's unaware of this. In the upcoming scene, there is one more character, Malvolio, the steward of the household and the nemesis of Sir Toby. We'll join in mid-scene. The night is getting late, and Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, and Feste are characteristically misbehaving, drinking, singing, and generally carousing. Maria, whom Malvolio calls Mary, has been sent down by the countess to get them to quiet down. Maria thus doesn't seem to be a miscreant herself, but as the scene goes on, she reveals this side of her. The three drunken miscreants are singing catches. The laughter comes from invention, as the first to sing humorously makes up the song as he goes along, and the others have to follow, which becomes sillier and sillier the drunker and drunker the singers become. We'll join the scene at the moment Malvolio enters, also sent by the Countess to quiet them down. His sternness only provokes more joking and singing and laughter, and after he departs, Sir Andrew and Sir Toby plot how to get back at him. It's at this point that Maria reveals the mischievous side of her nature, proposing a trick a letter she will write in her mistress's hand that will lure Malvolio into making a real fool of himself. Amidst this boisterous scene, Sir Toby does utter one serious thought, often quoted, which is the reason I have chosen this passage. Dost thou think, he demands of Malvolio, because thou art virtuous, there shall be no more cakes and ale? The question will be my focus after I've read the scene. Just one caveat before I begin. Much of the dialogue of this scene consists of drunken singing. Though I'll try to give these lines a little lilt, 
I won't actually be singing them, as my singing ability doesn't even rise to drunken singing. So, with that said, cue Malvolio. Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Act Two, Scene Three. Enter Malvolio. Malvolio. My masters, are you mad, or what are you? Have you no wit? Manners nor honesty, but to gabble like tinkers at this time of night? Do you make an alehouse of my lady's house, that you squeeze out your cosier's catches without any mitigation or remorse of voice? Is there no respect of place, persons, nor time in you? Toby. We did keep time, sir, in our catches. Snuck up. Malvolio. Sir Toby, I must be round with you. My lady bade me tell you that, though she harbors you as her kinsman, she's nothing allied with your disorders. If you can separate yourself and your misdemeanors, you are welcome in the house. If not, and it would please you to take leave of her, she is very willing to bid you farewell. Toby, singing, Farewell, dear heart, since I must needs be gone. Maria, nay, good Sir Toby. Feste, singing, His eyes do show his days are almost done. Malvolio, is it even so? Toby, singing, But I will never die. Feste, singing, Sir Toby, there you lie. Malvolio, this is much credit to you. Toby, singing, Shall I bid him go? Feste, singing, What and if you do? Toby, singing, Shall I bid him go and spare not? Feste, singing, Oh, no, 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 you dare not. Malvolio, this is out of tune, fool. Toby, out of tune, sir, you lie. Art any more than a steward? Dost thou think, because thou art virtuous, there shall be no more cakes and ale? Feste. Yes, by St. Anne, and ginger shall be hot in the mouth, too. Toby. Go, sir, rub your chain with crumbs. A stoop of wine, Maria. Malvolio. Mistress Mary. If you prized my lady's favor at anything more than contempt, you would not give means for this uncivil rule. She shall know of it by this hand. Exit Malvolio. Maria. Go shake your ears. Andrew. T'were as good a deed as to drink when a man's a-hungry, to challenge him the field and then to break promise with him and make a fool of him. Toby, do it, knight, I'll write thee a challenge, or I'll deliver thy indignation to him by word of mouth. Maria, sweet Sir Toby, be ruled for tonight. Since the youth of the counts was today with my lady, she is much out of quiet. For Monsieur Malvolio, let me alone with him. If I do not gull him into a nayward and make him a common recreation, do not think I have wit enough to lie straight in my bed. I know I can do it. Toby, 
possess us, possess us, tell us something of him. Maria, Mary, sir, sometimes he is a kind of Puritan. Andrew, oh, if I thought that, I'd beat him like a dog. Toby, what, for being a Puritan? Thy exquisite reason, dear knight. Andrew, I have no exquisite reason for it, but I have reason good enough. Maria, the devil, a Puritan that he is, or anything constantly but a time-pleaser, an affectioned ass that cons state without book and utters it by great swaths, the best persuaded of himself, so crammed as he thinks with excellencies, that it is his grounds of faith that all that look on him love him, and on that vice in him will my revenge find notable cause to work. Toby, what wilt thou do? Maria, I will drop in his way some obscure epistles of love, wherein by the color of his beard, the shape of his leg, the manner of his gait, the expression of his eye, forehead, and complexion, he shall find himself most feelingly personated. I can write very like my lady, your niece. On a forgotten matter, we can hardly make distinction of our hands. Toby, excellent, I smell a device. Andrew, I have it in my nose, too. Toby, he shall think by the letters that thou wilt drop that they come from my niece and that she's in love with him. Maria, my purpose is indeed a horse of that color. Andrew, and your horse now would make him an ass. Maria, ass, I doubt not. Andrew, oh, twill be admirable. Maria's plan to gull Malvolio works just as planned and leads to one of the theater's great comic scenes as Malvolio displays himself cross-gartered and in yellow stockings to a mortified Countess Olivia. But before Twelfth Night is over, the miscreants will take things too far, and we will find ourselves for a moment sympathizing with Malvolio, but only for a moment, until Malvolio proves himself the stubborn killjoy that he is. And if there's one thing a Shakespearean comedy can't abide, it's a killjoy for joy is the aim of life in the often dark worlds of Shakespeare's comedies. The world of Twelfth Night is a world in which joy must contend with death. That Malvolio, in the end, refuses such joy as is available to him, is on him, not on those who pulled a prank on him, in return for his stern denial of their mostly harmless enjoyment of life. For this is what Shakespeare's miscreants embody, the mostly harmless enjoyment of life. They don't please all. Maria calls Malvolio a Puritan, and there is some disagreement about what she means by that exactly. Does she mean those radical Protestant dissenters who were called Puritans by their detractors at the time Shakespeare wrote, and whom we continue to so-call today? Or does she just mean one who is a killjoy, as we also use the term loosely today? In any case, we know from his words and actions what Malvolio is, one who would deny others the enjoyment of life. 
The religious Puritans who were just rising to power in Shakespeare's day could be seen as such. They rejected, for instance, the official Church of England in part because it maintained the festive holidays of the Catholic Church, including Christmas, which the Puritans didn't celebrate or even observe. December 25th was just another calendar day to them, as it was to the religious dissenters who crossed the Atlantic on the Mayflower just 20 years after Twelfth Night first appeared on stage. The cakes and ale that Sir Toby declares will survive Malvolio's Puritanism weren't just the food and drink of drunken miscreants such as Sir Toby and his companions, they were the traditional accompaniments of Christmas celebrations, as eggnog is today. Whatever Shakespeare's religious beliefs might have been, and there is much disagreement about that, there can be no disagreement that Shakespeare embraced the fullness of life, even as it could be found at the taverns he and his theater companions frequented after each evening's performance was done. The tavern and the theater in London weren't that far apart. In the Southwark neighborhood of London, where Shakespeare's Globe Theater stood, there was one tavern for every 14 households. The Puritans who came to power with Oliver Cromwell finally succeeded in closing down London's theaters, declaring them to be, quote, spectacles of pleasure too commonly expressing lascivious mirth and levity, end quote, a pretty fair description of Twelfth Night. The Puritans didn't succeed in closing Southwark's taverns, which they characterized as, quote, nurseries of all riot, excess, and idleness, end quote, though not for want of trying. Miscreants, it seems, will always be with us. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.